listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. I am excited to bring the word of the Lord to you for a little while tonight. I want to encourage you to get your Bibles. Uh, We're going to read from the book of Nehemiah. Also, if you have a family uh, or you have anyone at your house, I I want to encourage you to kind of intentionalize this moment. Uh, I think it's appropriate that all across the metro area, we as the body of Christ are taking time together, uh, looking at the scripture together. I think we have an opportunity in the way we're doing Wednesday night uh, for you to have some family time, not just church time. Now at church, we would all make this effort. We would go and we would be there and we would act a certain way when we were there. Uh, We would require certain things of our children. We would, by having an event, we would kind of make that time special. Um, There's a tendency at home where uh, we don't do that. You know, we just treat it as though it were, you know, something that we were watching, streaming or something. Um, I think we're missing something when we do that. This is a great time for us to gather with our families, to sit down, to have some scripture, uh, have some spiritual concepts and themes that we think about, and then um, talk about it as a family. So if you're not doing that, I would like to encourage you to do that. I think there's value there. I want to talk tonight about uh, something so simple that I think oftentimes we miss the power of it. Now, okay, let's, let's address that. Uh, living lives of faith, uh, being spiritual people, is very much living between the tension of things that are so spiritually mysterious Uh, we tremble to think that we understand them. And on the other hand, things that are so fundamentally simple that we tend to think they apply to other people, not us. We've been serving the Lord, yea, these many years. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, There is a profound simplicity in the pursuit of the spiritual realm. And there is um, things that are quite complicated but are threaded through with principles that on their base, uh, in their very base essence, um, they are they are quite deep, and so we reconcile this in our lives, and we we don't want to be so pursuing of the 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 exciting and the dramatic that we miss the fundamental simplicity uh, that is in the gospel story. And so, I am talking about this subject. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. Uh, but to have a little fun with my title, I'm going to call this Better Than Chocolate? Question mark. Okay, why would I say that? Uh, there has been a good bit of study in uh, neurology and the study of, uh, they call it positive psychology, where they try to figure out what makes people feel happiness. Um, what is it that triggers you to be a happy person? And one of the things that they did Um, by researching this is they actually put people in an FRMI imaging machine that allows them to see the circuits of the brain. And then they did different things to see what excited the happiness, the sense of happiness inside that brain. Now, uh, you and I know as, as beings, we are both flesh and spirit. You can't just look at the flesh and say you've understood the totality of a person, nor can you just pretend like the flesh doesn't matter. Um, perhaps a day will come when we'll be given a new body like, like Jesus showed us, 
uh, when he was given a new body, um, and he, as the first fruits, he showed us this way. And a day may come when the flesh is no longer in our, shall we say, <laughs> our day-to-day experience. But in the meantime, our flesh is very, very much a part of us. It's, it's hard to be super happy if your body is really hurting. You, you understand? So we're this kind of strange mashup. But the brain is so fascinating. Um, it's this organ, this chemical computer of sorts. And out of it comes mind. Mind is you. Mind is the sense of self, uh, who you are. A brain is the computer on which you run, <laughs> so to speak. And so uh, they put these people uh, in these F, um, these F MRI machines, and they, they, they found something that is so effective at exciting the happiness centers of the brain that they started testing it against other things. Um, and here, here is what they found. And uh, this, there's, you can Google this. There, there's, it's been popularized. Um, but uh, nothing lights up happiness, the happiness centers of your brain, like simply an authentic smile. Isn't that amazing? In fact, this is where it gets almost uh, into apostasy. <laughs> uh, you would have to eat like 2,000 pounds of chocolate to excite the happiness centers of your brain um, as much as an authentic smile does. Now, I immediately, being a, a scientist, I decided I needed to test this theory. And so before I, I came on here today, I, I got a piece of chocolate and I ate it and asked myself if I was happy. And I, I felt like I was. And so, unsure, I, I, I ate another piece of chocolate. And then, you know, I didn't have enough data. You know, two samples does not a authentic or a robust data sample make. And so, um, I ate several more pieces of chocolate, and I'm still unsure. And so um, when I get done with this uh, Bible study, I'm, I'm going to keep testing this theory, whether or not chocolate makes me happy, because I wasn't sure if it made me happy, but I will say this, I did feel the Spirit. <laughs> I'm having fun, you know that. Um, so the power of a smile to change the inner experience, the lived experience of you, is not to be minimized. It is a very, very powerful thing. In fact, um, if you smile, it doesn't matter what else is going on in your day. It begins to impact. And again, this is not my opinion. This is the, the studies that were done in these, in these areas. It begins to impact how happy you are simply uh, smiling. Um, if you're down, if you're depressed and you smile, even if you force yourself to do it, it begins to change the, the inner reality of your experience. Uh, further, and there's a ton of research on this, but I'll just give you some more. Um, further, uh, smiling is a, direct, a directly correlated predictor of how long you will live. Now, that's crazy, right? Yeah. They did a study of Major League Baseball card photos from 1952, and they found that the span of a player's smile, that's measuring here to here, so we could smile kind of half-heartedly, or we could smile like, or we could smile like a kid. So if you measure the span of a smile, uh, <laughs> it actually is directly correlated uh, to the lifespan of the players, unsmiling players who, took, who chose to take their picture without a smile, 
they lived on average 72.9 years. So a little under 73 years. If you take, if you take out the, the players who had a big smile on their face that we would think that's a beaming smile, they actually lived on average seven years longer, 10% longer than the people who did not uh, smile. Um, also, they did the same thing, checking the data out of a study of a UC Berkeley textbook. They examined the smiles of the students um, and they had almost spooky results. It's, it's crazy how this is. The width of the student's smile turned out to be accurate predictors of how high their standardized tests of happiness would be as a, later on in life, as, as more mature adults. <clears throat> it also was directly correlated to how inspiring their peers perceived them. And it even, now this is where it gets really strange, it even predicted their success in marriage. Yes, spooky. So uh, who would have thought that smiles could have so much power in our lives? About 15, 14, 15% of us smile uh, less than five times a day. I just want to say this. I don't think anybody in the first church family should be guilty of smiling less than five times a day. Um, this is, uh, no matter what else has gone on in your life, uh, you have one thing in the free and clear, and that is Christ has become uh, your redeemer. And so that is at least good for uh, 40, 50 smiles a day, just thinking about what God has God has done for you. Uh, over 30% of us smile over 20 times a day. Um, but children dominate. Children dominate. Children uh, smile uh, over 400 times a day. Now, I have I have little people, and my little girl is a living example of this. Um, she she smiles all day long. She sings, she dances, and she is a life lesson for me on a, a daily basis. Um, there's something powerful about that. And I have watched her sleep because that's what dad does, you know, and she will smile in her sleep. Um, I, want, I want to have that kind of pure childlike joy. I think there's something to be said about what Jesus was saying that if we could learn from children, if we could become as children, then it would be easier for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven, or even, even it would be easier for us to have audacious faith. It would be easier for us to have sim simple, believing faith in, in our life. And so if you read in the Bible in Nehemiah chapter number eight, there's this tremendous story. And you, if you've been around for a little while, you've heard me preach on this more than a, than a handful of times. Um, and that is this story of Hezekiah and how he uh, had led the people of God back to Jerusalem. And they were involved in rebuilding the walls. They were surrounded by enemies. The enemies were threatening them. Um, and as part of their spiritual renewal, you see, renewal is not just rebuilding the walls. There was, there was many things they were doing. Uh, they were, yes, rebuilding the walls. They were rehanging the gates of the city, yes. But that's, that's, that, that's a construction project. That's not all they were doing. They were also reestablishing themselves in worship. They were reestablishing spiritual order in their life. And you can read this chapter number eight of Nehemiah. 
uh, where Ezra the scribe, they build a platform. He gets in front of the people. He's standing above him. He opens the word of the Lord. He blesses the people, verse number six. All the people answer, amen, amen. They lift up their hands and uh, say amen. And then they, 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 they bow their heads and worship the Lord with the faces to the ground. This is a picture of reverence. We need reverence. We need to perceive God as our creator, as our father. Uh, we need to perceive uh, him as our, as, as our judge. Uh, we, we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord, which properly understood is more reverence than simply terror. Um, there might be a little bit of terror in it, but there's a whole lot of reverence um, in that. And so uh, having done this, the people um, stood in their place. They read the law of God. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, I'm in verse number nine of chapter uh, number eight of the book of Nehemiah. Um, and the Levites taught the people and said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. So here's this religious awakening happening among a large group of people. They are rebuilding their, their, their place of inheritance, the, the city of Jerusalem. They are restoring spiritual disciplines. They are reordering their lives. Uh, they are learning again to have corporate worship together. And so this is moving them and they're weeping. They're, 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 they're almost this image of brokenness uh, that is within them. And Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites having taught them, stop them and say, all right, uh, do not mourn. This day is holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn nor weep. All the people were reap, weeping, the Bible said. Uh, when they heard the law, the words of the law. Then uh, uh, Ezra said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, we quote that scripture all the time. If you're wondering where it's at in the Bible, it's in this story where the people have turned their hearts to God. They are working to rebuild the house of the Lord, the city of peace. They are returning to ways of corporate worship, not just individualized um, worship, but worshiping together, celebrating the word of the Lord together. And they are weeping in this and the, the governor, uh, Nehemiah, and the scribe, Ezra, stop them and say, this is a holy day. This is a day for joy. That joy, that is God's gift in our life, is a strength to us. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still for the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Joy is uh, a very simple thing. In fact, it is so simple that we tend to think it applies to other people. But I want to say this to everyone, myself included. Doesn't matter how long we've been in the church. Doesn't matter how many times we've read the scripture. Doesn't matter how exalted we are in our own eyes. Therefore, <laughs> deceiving ourselves, thinking we're something when we're not. Um, none of that matters. Uh, set all that aside. This applies to you. I, 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 honestly, I, you, you can have a PhD in philosophy and a <laughs> You understand what I'm saying. You can have any type of educational degree. You can have any apostolic pedigree. You can, you understand what I'm saying. Joy is your strength. Joy is your strength. And when you have worshiped your God 
and you have ordered your life and you have bowed down before him and you are involved in the work, you still have to make a point to choose joy. Were these people doing what they were supposed to do? Yes, they were. They were doing the work of the Lord. They were celebrating the law of the Lord. They were worshiping God. They were doing everything right. They still needed to be commanded to have joy. So it is with us. We can work for the Lord. We can serve the Lord. We can strive to do everything right. We still need to have someone say to us, you need to choose joy. You need to celebrate joy. You need to make a point of joy. There's a a great little illustration that uh, the author Jim Collins, he's, also, he's a business consultant, leadership trainer, uh, wrote probably, I would say, I would probably say the, the, the best book on leadership and developing um, teams in a corporate environment, a business environment, uh, his book, Good to Great. And he tells the story of the coaching staff of a high school cross-country running team. And they had gone from being... Um, unknown to having uh, state championship after state championship. And uh, so uh, interested, uh, he reached out to them, and uh, this was what they said. They had become consistent contenders for the state championship on both the boys' and the girls' team. And one of the coaches said, I don't get it. Why are we so successful? We don't work any harder than the other teams. And what we do is just so simple. Why does it work? He was referring to a very simple strategy, and that was this. Their team celebrated this principle. We run best at the end. We run best at the end of the workout. We run best at the end of the races. We run best at the end of the season. And to facilitate that, they actually would, uh, the, the races they were doing were about three miles long. They would put one of their coaches after the two-mile mark, and he would record the people, uh, his people. Every person they passed, they celebrated. Every person that they passed in that last mile, uh, they chalked that up as a win. And so what would happen is these runners, they would stay, they, they, they would be fit, they would, they would stay with the group, you know, stay with the group. But they had prepared themselves mentally at the end they're going to run like they've never run. They're not going to run best at the beginning. They, as a team, are going to run best at at the end. And so it gave them a confidence. It taught them how to pace themselves. Um, and they would, when everyone else was at their, at their end, uh, they were ready to give it their all. I think joy gives us that. Uh, I, like many of you, have been involved in church. I've been involved in ministries uh, for my whole life, really, even as a child. I've been involved uh, my whole life. And so much in ministry, this is confession time. You can talk bad about me later. It's so easy in ministry to slip into duty um, and to worship the Lord and serve the Lord in duty. It's Sunday. It's time to praise the Lord. Well, hallelujah. Um, it's so easy for us to do have obligations. And I think this is, uh, I think it's fair to see this as a type of duty, or let me say it this way to put it in biblical terms. This is a type of law. We're, we're doing what we're supposed to do, but there's no spirit in it. There's no joy in it. 
um, we cannot allow ourselves to lose joy in the work. In fact, even if we need to be commanded, what these children of Israel did, uh, they actually obeyed the command and they uh, read on the law where they were supposed to build booths and so they did. They went out to the mountain and they bought, brought olive branches. I'm in, I'm in verse 15 here. Olive branches, branches of oil trees, uh, myrtle branches, palm branches, the branches of leafy trees to make booths as it was written. And so they went out on the, the roofs of their houses and they made, these, they made these booths. And so, verse 17, the whole assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. And there was very great gladness. So Ezra is reading the word of the Lord. There's a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Uh, the, the, they, these people go through this process um, and they, the, the Bible says there's this great joy. It's, see, here's the thing, and this is not just biblically true. It is biblically true. It's not just a spiritual truth. This actually shows up uh, in the research I referred to earlier when I talked about them putting people's putting people in fMRI machines and scanning their brains. Um, here's the thing. Um, your brain doesn't differentiate from when you feel happiness and when you choose happiness. Weird, yes, I know. It weirds me out too. Your brain cannot differentiate between some, some, someone else making you smile or you choosing to smile. And so it's almost as though God says to his people, you guys are doing a great work. You're where you're supposed to be. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You're rebuilding this relationship that was lost through rebellion and, and, and vanity. You're doing everything you're supposed to do. Now choose joy. So I want to say that to all of us, myself included. We're doing the best we can. It's a tough year. We're doing the best we can. Now choose joy. Um, you may have had some financial difficulties this year. Uh, you fought your way through them. Maybe you see a light at the end of the tunnel or not, but you're doing your best. Now, choose joy. Some of you have fought some spiritual struggles this year. You've had some, what felt like at the time, spiritual setbacks, and you've wrestled with it. And I want to say to you, you're doing better than you think you are. You're, you're doing better than you think you are. Now, choose joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Spiritually, I don't think you can tell a difference between someone else rubbing off on you and their joy influencing you, between that and you choosing to celebrate the promises of God. And so we, all of us, must choose joy. We must, having done our best, choose joy. There is real defeat in life. Um, I've been defeated in ventures, I've been defeated in businesses, I've been defeated in relationships. Uh, loss is part of life, okay? Would you agree with me? I think you would. Now let's choose joy. Do you see? These are very, very important things that we need to do together, to grow in faith, to grow in confidence, to be God's people and to manifest His kingdom, and you can do it. Let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, we're praying for your help, your blessing, your strength, and your authority to work in our lives. We are praying that 
spiritual help would be given to us for the point and the purpose of preparing us and maturing us to manifest your heart in this world. Be with your people, I pray. Teach us to choose joy. Teach us to put a smile on our face and walk with you in Jesus' name. All right, we love you. God bless you. Have a great week. We will see you soon. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.